Welcome back to the Foreign Desk Podcast. I'm Lisa Deftari. I said I'd be bringing her back, and guess what? I'm bringing her back. And not only is she back, she's here to talk about a topic that I've grappled with for a very long time. I know a lot of people have, and I've talked to friends and colleagues about it, but never really came to an answer. And what is this mystery topic? We'll get into it in a moment. But first, I'd like to welcome my very good friend, Monica Crowley, to the show. Of course, she needs no introduction. You may know her from Fox News and many other television and radio programs, as well as a host of the Monica Crowley podcast. And not too long ago, she served as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Public Affairs at the U.S. Department of Treasury under President Trump. Also author of the New York Times bestseller, What the Bleep Just Happened, The Happy Warrior's Guide to the Great American Comeback. If you follow Monica on social media, you know that um, she's saying very, very smart things every day that make people stop and think and really uh, connect the dots on what's going on around us. And um, case in point is this recent op-ed, which is why I'd like to bring uh, Monica back in and invite her and and I should say welcome her back to the show. Uh, Thank you, Monica, for accepting the invitation to come back with us. Well, of course, Lisa, it's always such a joy to join you. So when I got your message yesterday to come on, I jumped at the opportunity. Thank you so much, dear friend. We've been wanting to have you on, and we've actually been wanting to have you on when you left your position so that you can speak to us more openly about all your brilliance and everything that you know. Uh, And um, that's why when I saw your op-ed, which is, you know, the the, the topic I was referring to, um, I I thought this is is just such an important topic, and I will break the mystery right now. This is a piece that Monica co-authored with Andrew Stein in the the New York Post, which uh, is titled Jews should abandon the party that's abandoned them. And, um, you know, very important topic. We all know um, Jews, for the most part, are voting and identifying with the Democrat Party. And I just want to read a little from uh, the setup of the piece, which kind of will give you an idea. And I and I urge you all to to Google this and, and, and read the piece in the New York Post. It's incredibly well written and, um, you know, really makes a, a very cogent argument. Um, It begins like this, with the Biden-Harris administration's epic failures from skyrocketing inflation and gas prices to the wide open southern border, record crime and weakness abroad, American voters are turning away from the Democratic Party in staggering numbers. Even the Democrats' most reliable constituencies are heading for the exits in droves. Support for the White House has been steadily and dramatically eroding among Black Hispanic women and younger voters. One demographic group that has been stubbornly faithful, I love that, stubbornly faithful to the Democrats, but should join the others in rethinking its support is Jewish voters. You know, um, Monica, obviously this is, again, something that, you know, I think a a lot of people have noticed. A lot of people have noticed that it's it's odd. Um, You know, let's get into this a bit. Why, Why was it, you know, something that you thought to write of and why is it surprising to you that Jews have and continue to vote and identify with the Democrat Party? Well, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about this very complex political question, Lisa. And not a lot of people want to grapple with it on either side. You know, Republicans, for the most part, have written off Jewish voters because they they essentially voted for Democrats in massive blocks. 
Um, and Democrats, much like how they treated uh, black voters for many decades, they sort of wrote off Jewish voters as a given for them. And so the dynamic always was sort of stagnant and nobody really wanted to deal with this question. And I thought, you know, now was a good opportunity because I spent two years working in the Trump administration at the Treasury Department. And the Abraham Accords were such a critical part of President Trump's legacy in the Middle East, but also globally in terms of regional stability, in terms of economic integration um, between Israel and our Arab allies and creating a whole new dynamic of peace and economic cooperation in the region, really quite extraordinary. And as I thought about President Trump's unbelievable, incredible record on not just Israel, but the entire Middle East region, and also all of the issues that Jewish voters should care about, and not strictly Israel, but a whole range of issues, President Trump really delivered for them in quite remarkable ways. And yet, President Trump actually lost ground with Jewish voters the second time around in 2020. And it struck me as completely counterintuitive given his record on all the issues that they say that they care about and that they should care about. So Andrew Stein and I got together and decided to co-write this piece because we thought now is a good moment to strike with this argument because so many of the other core democratic constituencies, blacks, Latinos, women, younger voters, they're leaving the democratic party in droves. And now is a good time for Jewish voters to join them in fleeing the Democratic Party and coming over to the Republican side. And I want to make our way over to you know why it is that they're not identifying with what we say they should be identifying with, or what would logically follow, right? Based on lifestyle and based on you know priorities, et cetera. We'll we'll get there. But for people who may not be familiar, um, what's the history of Jews? Why have Jews, you know, generation after generation, been or identified as as liberal, um, or you know, why are they afraid of shedding this title? You know, it's very difficult for any person who has not just politically associated with a political party, Lisa, but also culturally. Um, so there are a lot of Jewish voters, say, in New York City, where I'm sitting right now, that consider themselves culturally Jewish, in addition to religiously Jewish, but they may or may not be religious, but they are culturally Jewish. And that that is a whole like lifestyle. It's not just how you worship or what you believe, but it becomes culturally part of your identity. And so there are big pockets in the country and New York is certainly one of them where you have a lot of um, Jewish voters who are culturally Jewish and also therefore politically liberal. Norman Pidhoritz wrote a great book uh, recently about this called Why Are Jews Liberals? And in the book, he argues that, you know, Jews traditionally have been very um, associated with victimhood over, uh, I mean, starting from, from the Hebrew Bible and being sent into the desert for decades at a time, that they've associated themselves with um, victimhood and associating with the little guy and the unsung heroes and the underdog. And so that, that religious belief then translated into a cultural belief that then translated into political beliefs. 
And mm -hmm. I think it's actually a very good theory about it. I'm not sure it explains everything. And I think Norman Penhorst would say it doesn't explain everything. But mm -hmm. I do think, you know, the, the old Einstein definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, you're seeing all of these democratic constituencies starting to rethink, right. hey, wait a minute, I've, I've spent my whole life voting for Democrats and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Jewish voters, they might be the last group to get there, but I think you're starting to see some rethinking happening. Right. And you know what? It's it's an interesting group to focus on because in terms of numbers, Jews are, are mostly situated in, in blue cities anyway. Perhaps Florida would be the one place where they would be an, an important demographic. But even in terms of numbers, I mean, we have how many uh, uh, you know Jews in the United States? It's not going to be enough to really carry a, an important weight. But in terms of you know philanthropy and in terms of, of, of just the influence that they have over others uh, and, and their visit Visible, right? Jews are obviously a very uh, successful um, minority group. And um, because of that, you know, obviously, you know, the, the political parties, whether it's the independents or Republicans, would be after, uh, you know, or, or at least trying to make sense uh, of this. Um, I obviously am Jewish. It's it's out there. This is some. This is why I never wanted to tackle this this topic because you never want to go after your own or it's make it seem like you're going after your own, which I am not. This is obviously a topic that you know we we want to just discuss and 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 look at from a kind of a, a socio political um, you know position. I remember interviewing at Fox News, which is where Monica and I know each other from. We were both contributors uh, there, and I remember interviewing with Bill Shine um, back in the day, and I think it, during the interview, he asked me, why did Jews vote Democrat? And I said, oh my God, it's a great question to ask. And I wish I could answer that. But, you know, what we try to do, and I cover obviously foreign affairs and counterterrorism and a lot of Israel and the Middle East is try to persuade them with logic and with history and with facts, which is what you do so beautifully in this article. Um, now, in, you know, in this op-ed, the way that you outline it, um, and I'm going to skip to where I didn't want to go, but just the conversation is taking us there. The way you tell us about the Abraham Accords and the moving of the embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and, you know, Donald Trump fighting BDS uh, and doing a whole you know long list of things, turning away from the Iran nuclear deal, repositioning himself to not be with the Iranian regime the way the Obama administration was. And, you know, I, I would love to go on because you, you really outlined every single thing. It really takes into consideration one huge assumption, and you come to that at the end of the piece, which is to say that Jews in America actually look at Israel as one of their issues and, and, and a priority. Um, and if we were to take that away, that they don't look at themselves as Jewish first, they look at themselves as American first, and perhaps look at issues like abortion or, you know, uh, you know, anything else that the Democrat Party is now, you know, um, associating itself with, then we kind of are left with this cultural Judaism of sorts, right? Yes, I think that that is exactly right. Um, and look, you know, I, I at the end of the piece, we cite a quote from President Trump where he lamented this political reality when he mm -hmm. said, look, I, I delivered so much for Israel, for the safety and security of the Israeli people, but also of the region of our Arab allies. I got them closer together. I was able to deliver a sustainable 
and realistic peace in the region, which hadn't happened in decades. Presidents on both sides had tried it. Trump is the only one that was able to deliver it by sort of smashing the existing paradigm and coming in with a completely new approach. But the, the quote that we cite at the end of the piece, Lisa, where he said, look, maybe a lot of American Jews just don't really care that much about Israel. And as you say, they do consider themselves Americans first, which is what we appreciate. Um, and there are a whole range of other issues. You know, they vote Democratic for a whole range of reasons, not simply Israel or the Middle East. But as you point out, whether it's abortion or crime or whatever it might be, that they are culturally and politically liberal. And that's why they lean in that direction. But I will say, because all of these other groups are starting to wake up and realizing that, in fact, the Democrats, this is no longer the party of uh, Bill Clinton or JFK or even FDR. This is mm -hmm. now a party made up of Marxist revolutionaries that want to fundamentally transform the nation. And they want to do it and transform it into a more communist kind of model that more and more people are understandingly said that, that, that the Democratic Party is not about policies that actually work for the average American or the average American small business or American industry. It is about re-engineering the entire relationship between the government, the economy and the individual, again, toward a more collectivist Marxist kind of model. So you're, you're starting to see Blacks and Latinos and women and younger voters saying, wait a minute, why do I keep voting for this party if they're not delivering for me, if they're not improving my life? So again, I think the Jewish voting bloc is lagging behind because they are so culturally identified with the left and with uh, the Democratic Party. But so bl the black voting bloc has been the same and you're starting to mm -hmm. see hemorrhage. So I still have hope and Republicans are beginning to make some real meaningful inroads into the Jewish community, Lisa, and I'm happy to talk about that as well. Yes, it's reminding me what you're talking about, about the um, the political cartoon that's circulating from Elon Musk that shows a stick figure of himself. And um, I don't know if you've seen this, Monica, it kind of shows where the left was and where the right was. Um, about 10 years ago, and he identified with the left and he voted for President Obama. And now as things have shifted, he's staying in the same place as a stick figure, but the left has shifted so much so that now they're calling him, you know, on the right. And that's where he identifies with more is, is right of center. And that's exactly the case where it's not just, you know, and, and again, I don't want to lose sight of, of what of your point is in the article. It's not just that President Trump or the Republican Party stand for so much that Jews should prioritize in Israel and BDS and et cetera, it's that the party has in fact abandoned them, meaning the party hasn't taken into consideration even anti-Semitism here in the United States. When you have pro-Palestinian thugs going up to Jewish um, you know, diners in, in, a, in restaurants in New York City right on the street and saying, are you Jewish? And then beating them up. I mean, we're, we're really moving away. And it's not just about Israel, but really about how Jews are perceived and treated here in the United States. And that's to the point of your piece to say that the party has abandoned you. It's not It's not that you should care about Israel. It's just that the party itself has abandoned you and your life and your family and your safety and security here in the United States. Yes, exactly. And, you know, when we used to talk about women's issues, for example, 
um, now back in the spotlight because of the uh, eventual and maybe impending SCOTUS decision on Roe versus Wade. But the, the argument always was, well, wait a minute, women's issues are all of our issues, right? And I think we need to make the same argument with Jewish voters that, look, you don't need to continue to reward the Democratic Party that is not rewarding you in any way, shape or form. This message right. is going through to Blacks and Latinos and, and women and younger voters. And I think we need to make the same approach and the same appeal to Jewish voters, which is... Right. Okay, if, if your heart isn't really with Israel or you don't really care that much about what's happening in the Middle East, that's fine. But have you taken a look at what the Democrats are doing here, right now in America, to your community, to your family, to you, with a weakening economy, skyrocketing inflation mm -hmm. and gas prices, a labor crunch, a supply chain crisis, the wide open southern border with all of the problems that come along with that, weakness abroad, whether it's Afghanistan, Iran marching toward a nuclear weapon, Russia and Ukraine, the wheels are coming off the country and the wheels are coming off the world and it's because of the Democratic Party. And so they are no longer serving you so instead of doing the Einstein definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, why don't you take a step back and use the brain God gave you and take right. another look at the alternative? And the alternative is looking pretty darn good right now. You know, um, I, I want to ask you, and you're absolutely right, I want to ask you to put on your your strategist hat because I feel like that's that's what, what we need here as, you know, from the Republican Party or from just the, the party of logic, right? What, what the, um, the, 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 I don't know if I want to call it the, the woke movement or this intersectionality is, is probably the, the better term for it. You know, it, it's telling a lot of young voters, Hispanic voters, black voters, women voters, gay voters, uh, Jewish voters, that if you care about X, then you should vote with us. And that X, Roe v. Wade right now is probably the best example. And it's right in front of our eyes where they try to say you cannot identify with the other party if you care about this. If you think you're a good person, then you need to identify with the Democratic Party. How do we change this? And we've done it in, in, a, in some ways during the pandemic because of the inflation on the economy, but more so when it hits home. For example, mothers are a great demographic to talk about in this case, where they looked at their children, the schools, the vaccine mandates, just didn't make sense. And here comes the party of logic, right? To say, you know, I don't know where I belong, but I don't want to be with them. I don't know. I don't want to be on this, you know, fast train to nowhere. And it's going so fast and they're taking me with them. And just under this guise of, you know, I'm a Democrat. So therefore I'm now woke and I'm now talking about pro pronouns and I'm now having my, you know, seven-year-old learn about transgenderism in school. That was a, you know, a great pivot that we saw from mothers here in this country. How do we do this with other voters and Jews in particular? Yeah, you know, I actually think that parents are going to destroy the Democratic Party in November. Parents. Um, and you're starting to see parents like Latinos break for the Republicans, like with a majority, over 50% now when they're po polled, are saying that they're going to vote Republican, even when they never did before. So I think the same dynamic applies to all voting blocs that have traditionally voted Democrat, including Jewish voters. So you can say, again, 
to Jewish voters, but all voters, that these are all of our issues as Americans. And we understand that culturally, or maybe your entire adult life, this has been your identity. And we understand that the Republican Party, because of the corrupt media, has, you know, has an image problem with these groups. And here's how we're going to go about it. What you saw, you may not have liked President Trump, but what you saw in four years, Lisa, was a booming economy and world peace. I don't know what more people want from an American president, but there it is. So now you've got nicer tone and no mean tweets, but the wheels come off the country and the world. So to Jewish voters, you know, I would say, I think you have to take even an extra step like you you do with African-American voters, which is you have to empathize with the fact that this is their whole identity and what they, they have gotten in terms of propaganda from the press about the Republicans for decades is, oh, the Republicans don't care about you. It's a country club uh, party. They only care about the wealthy. They don't care about you. We need to turn that messaging around and say, oh, no, 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 we're in the middle of a political realignment here. The Democratic Party is now the party that does not care about you because it's all about the coastal elites, New York and California, and they don't care about the people in between. They certainly don't care about the middle class, the working class, and the working poor. And I'll give you an example for messaging on that. Republicans can look at at Jewish voters and across the board and say, You know, the Democrats have been telling you for a really long time that they're the champions of the little guy, that they are champions of the underdog. And maybe that's why you associate with them or or can relate to that message because you feel like you're a little guy. You feel like you're you're the underdog or you're not seen by your government. And that's why you, you still reflexively vote Democrat. But I'm here to tell you that the, the switch that has changed is that the Democratic Party does not care about you and hasn't for a really long time. And here's a piece of evidence for that. Inflation, which is affecting everybody, but inflation is a regressive tax, meaning that it affects those at the lower end of the income ladder most of all. It mm-hmm. is attacking the middle class, working class, and working poor most of all. Why? because they're least able to withstand those rising prices. They're the ones being squeezed, and yet the Democrats have done nothing to fix that, to stop the government spending, to rein in government, to try to put a stop to these inflationary pressures. That's what's directly affecting your life. And that's Mm -hmm. the Democrats being incredibly callous about your own economic situation, your family's economic insecurity, they don't care. When you take that kind of message, Lisa, and you tailor it to the individual and to the individual family and say, you're suffering on gas prices and grocery prices as a direct result of Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, which Mm -hmm. has done nothing to rein this in and, and actually adopted policies to make it worse and exacerbate, exacerbate your economic suffering. That's the kind of message that gets through to not just Jewish voters, but voters across the board. 
Right. And to, to their values. Right. So how can you care about, you know, collectively, you know, killing babies and abortions when how, how often is that going to affect your life when you look at, like you said, things that affect the family unit on a daily basis, whether it's buying groceries or going to the gas station or, or doing whatever. I also wanted to add one thing on the history of Jews and, and how they vote. Um, I would only add that it's not only the, the association with the underdog, it's actually that we were the underdog, perhaps. And now that we're not, we're in a position of giving back. This is our charity. It's almost like a guilt tax. You know, I call it it's the I call it the Diet Coke syndrome. And the reason why I call it that is like when somebody goes to McDonald's, they'll order everything on the menu. And at the end, they feel guilty about all these calories. So they say, I'll take the Diet Coke. Right. So it makes them feel a little bit better. Jews are a very successful immigrant group. I mean, we don't consider ourselves immigrants and Jews come from all all parts of the world. But that's almost like a success tax that they pay when they vote democratic, they feel as though they are, and, and I'm overgeneralizing here, but for the most part, and that's the way they were in Europe. European Jews felt that if they were appeasing to European governments when they were living in, in Europe, that they would find favor. And we saw what that did with Hitler, and we saw what that did with World War II, but they somehow have transferred that over here into the United States. Middle Eastern Jews, on the other hand, I'm from Iran in my family, and I know a lot of Middle Eastern Jews they have almost the taste of persecution too too close of a gener it's almost half a generation and for us it's that we we were not trusting of that kind of you know we'll give everything out for free and trust us and come with us it's more like you know we're about the family unit we're about strength you know uh, prosperity all the things that we we many of us see in the in the republican party and i know that again i'm overgeneralizing there are democrats and republicans among both american uh european and um middle eastern jewry but um for the most part i mean this has been my experience i just wanted to share just the differences between european jewry and middle eastern jewry just from the experiences they had in their home countries and how they apply that here uh, in the United States. The question I have for you is I do have um, friends, colleagues who are culturally Jewish or more, uh, perhaps more, more religiously so, and they they understand everything that's going on, meaning they are well aware that the, the party has left them but they feel like they're orphaned. They don't feel that they can, um, whether for shame or for, for, for just feeling relevance, they just do not feel at home with Republicans. Uh, and for that reason, they're just staying quiet and apolitical for now until they're hoping things get better and they can associate you know, with the Democratic Party again. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of uh, New Yorkers who happen to be Jewish, who have voted Democrat their whole lives. And because the propaganda press has put a taint on the Democrat, uh, excuse me, on the Republican Party for so long, they cannot even imagine voting Republican, mm -hmm. right? Like it's it's against every fiber of their right. being. So there definitely is, uh, it, it's an uphill battle to try to get people to look at things in a different way. And I think you're exactly right about the success. It's almost like, um, guilt over the success. And so they want to give back. So they vote liberal because they believe, well, then the government will redistribute the wealth in some way. And if I pay higher tax rate or something, I can assuage my guilt for being successful and help other people out. 
Well, there are private charities uh, to do that. And, uh, you know, the government certainly has its role. But I do agree with you that it is very much an uphill battle because it's so much a part of who they are and their own identities. When they look in the mirror every morning when they get up, they see a human being, they see um, their family, and they see how they vote. It, it's really part of their fabric. So it is going to be... Um, Maybe not as long a term process as we think, though. It's, it's interesting, too, on the abortion question. I was just doing some Fox News talking about this. Democrats really think that this is their Hail Mary pass for November. That if they can get women right and younger voters focused on abortion, then it's going to mobilize them. I do think there will be certain little pockets of voters who will be mobilized by this on the left. But I don't think, Lisa, that this is going to be the kind of mobilizing issue that the Democrats think it's going to be. So while we're dealing with human beings and when we talk about um, Jewish voters, yeah, I think it is going to be a bit of an uphill battle because it's part of the fabric of who they are. But the project might not be as difficult as we think, particularly since their lives, like the lives of all of us, really hitting the bottom of the barrel here with the Democrats and this historic catastrophe of the Biden administration, it might in fact wake a lot of people up to say, look, I, I realize this might kill me to vote Republican, but I also know I also know that when I go into the voting area, it's a secret ballot. And uh, Republicans have made inroads. They've made inroads in places like Virginia last year in the gubernatorial race. Democrats lost about 10% of Jewish voters in that gubernatorial race that elected Glenn Youngkin as governor. Mm -hmm. And then we have pockets like New York, which is so deeply blue, of course, and very heavily Jewish. And we actually picked up, Republicans picked up a city council seat in an Orthodox Jewish area. So, and I know the Orthodox are, are a different uh, ballgame here. But what I'm saying is I'm starting to see, and Republicans are starting to see, a shift. And it's not quite as dramatic as the Latino shift or quite as fast, but it is happening. And as we say, Lisa, with God, all things are possible. Oh, this is why I love you. You're brilliant and as optimistic as you are <laughs> brilliant. Um, I have only time for uh, one more question, but I wanted to ask you about the inroads that the Republicans are making, but more so put your strategist hat back on. Now, what would you recommend that the Republican Party do in order to wake up Jewish voters? Is this is this a constituency they should go after, not just out of principle, but really out of out of strategy and, and wanting wanting this demographic? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, President Trump and his team did an extraordinary job in in addressing African-American voters and Latino voters with their concerns and going into their communities, going into their neighborhoods and saying, you know, to the forgotten man and woman, regardless of what race you are or what religion you are, I hear you, I see you and I will be your champion. That is actually, you know, what President Trump did in 2015 and 2016 with that message, Lisa, I keep saying, I keep telling people that was an emotional appeal. That wasn't a political appeal. That wasn't an intellectual appeal. 
that was an emotional one. And it got so many people thinking, hey, wait a minute, you know, the Democratic Party is not serving me anymore. And at the time, it really was mostly like union guys, blue collar workers who had always voted Democrat, who heard Trump say this and said, you know what, I'm going to take a leap of faith with this guy and see if he'll deliver. And he spent four years delivering for the forgotten man and woman. I think going forward, if we take that emotional appeal that Trump used so successfully and turn it for all of those groups, um, black voters, Latinos, again, women, younger voters, but also Jewish voters and say, we hear you, we see you, and we will be your champion. And here's what we're gonna do and outline exactly how you're gonna serve their economic needs, their economic insecurities, but also the state of the country and the world to make them more secure and more prosperous. I think that's what every voter, regardless of religion or race, wants to hear. That's what the Republicans should be doing in terms of messaging. From your mouth to their ears, and I know that they're listening to you. Of course they are, and they rely on you and your brilliance. Thank you so much for being with us and, and really letting us and giving us you know, the, the perfect uh, roadmap to talking about this very difficult subject. I've actually been really wanting to do a show on this for a very long time. So I thank you and I thank you for coming back and hopefully we'll have you yet again. Uh, thank you very much for all your hard work and uh, please follow her on social media. Definitely read this up, Ed. And for those of you at home who'd like to subscribe to our podcast, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Deftari and to subscribe to our daily email, go to foreigndesknews.com and we'll see you all next time.